Hello, everybody. My name is Alex Marks, and this is Young History, a podcast about the history of every country in the world done in reverse order. That means least populated to most populated. And today is episode 24 on Samoa also known as the cradle of Polynesia because it is believed that the origin of Polynesian islands and every Polynesian person goes back to Samoa because it was the first populated Polynesian island in the world and because of that it is its culture is present across all of Polynesia it's a very present within Polynesian culture it's present all over Oceania and Samoa is the reason for it so this is as you can imagine, one I'm very excited to do because I've got a great love for Oceania. It is where my historical focus is as a student. And being able to articulate more things about this make me very happy. So I'm not going to wait any longer. Being able to do this one that is pretty much the basis for all the other countries that I really have a love for in Oceania. Gotta say, it's going to be a fun one. So I'm just going to wrap it up here and say thank you so much for being here. And my name is Alex Marks. This is Young History. And this right here, this is an island called Samoa. Here we go. So, the mythical origins written in the legends of Samoan folktale and tongue is this. Tagaloa, the wayfinder of the universe, chief of all gods, is exploring the world that he created. He starts to look out and want new things. He imagines the sky and the ocean, and so they are to appear. But his constant wayfinding, traveling across the worlds and the universe, made him want to rest. For this, he created Samoa, the island which would be his resting place, and the place from which he would create the rest of the earth. Now, the origins that come to a more realistic place would actually be that in 2500 humans migrated from Fiji they went through like the Austronesian area from originally Taiwan more than likely than anywhere else all the way through Melanesia Indonesia down into Australia out through Papua New Guinea and then into Fiji and from Fiji out came the Samoans into Samoa now they had a very unique culture because this would actually be the Lapita culture that is very big across all of Polynesia and has big influence even in Micronesia as well. And they have a lot of agriculture that they build, which leads to a lot of changes coming as they start to build and harvest and not need to focus as much on hunting. They start to grow new chiefdoms and new culture even within their Samoan culture. They really start to grow and become Unique and networks of chiefdoms would start to form through trade, both on Samoa and across all of Polynesia. Now, as things were starting to grow, uh, over the thousand years that it took to start to become Samoan and develop this culture and develop different kingdoms, there would be the development of Tui Manua, Tui Manua, which becomes the most powerful kingdom on the eastern island of Manua around 1500 BC. The royal family formed a confederacy of islands. They included both Tonga and Tuvalu. The royal marriages created allies and different Samoan women would go to marry Tongan men. Tongan men would marry Tuvaluan women, things like that. And it is in this confederacy that Tonga actually gets a lot of the power it has. As we know from the Tonga episode, that Tui Tonga was a very big ocean-spanning empire that rose from Tonga originally and had effects on Samoa, as we're going to get into right now. Despite this Tui Manua, 
happening. There was still fights within Samoa and between Samoa and Tuvalu. It just happens when there's so many mixed people groups and different opinions on how things should be ran. We're humans. We're going to fight at some point. And they did this. Very specific cultural fighting broke out. It was very much, you know, men went to go fight and things happened. It was all through the seas. It happened on Tonga. It happened on Samoa. A lot of fighting goes back and forth. But that doesn't stop progression from happening. And one of the big progressions happens under Queen Nafanua. So on the island of Savai, which is the most, is the second largest island of what is today Samoa in the west of American and western Samoa, she rose an army to defeat the other chieftain on Savai after that chieftain murdered her uncle in front of her. And she's able to raise up this great army on the basis that her chief was murdered and all these things were very wrong and that she was fighting for the right cause. And with this, she not only defeats the other chieftain, but she unites the island under one banner. And the power, of course, goes to her, which is why she gets the name Queen Nafanua. She ends up changing the system so that many, many villages within Samoa have their own power and set governments rather than all the government coming from the one overhead chief of all Samoa. There's smaller chiefdoms within the different villages of Samoa so that rebellions would be less likely and a more unified front of Samoa would be present. This starts on Savai and then spreads to the other islands west to east and ends up still being present to this day in some forms within the Samoan culture. Tuitangan rule begins in the early five, six, seven hundreds of the common era and is fully solidified by 950, the year 950 of the common era. The rule was cemented very much by royal marriage. As we said before, a lot of the things with the Tui Manua was that marriage allowed for a lot of allies and trade and things like that, but fighting still broke out. Tonga did so well from this grouping under Tui Manua that they were actually able to gain enough power to overthrow Samoa as their warriors started to grow and things like that. And Tonga ends up taking over as Tui Tonga and starts to spread all throughout the ocean. This lasts until 1250 because in that time between, there was a very good relationship between Tui Tonga and Samoans. They were seen as first-class citizens. They were treated the same as Tongans. All the Tongan rulers and chiefs didn't treat Samoans any different. If anything, they honored them more for their location because of the fact they recognized that a lot of their people came from Samoa and from Samoan marriages. So when 1250 came and a new leader came in that resented Samoans, there was a lot of confusion and distrust. And this would start to manifest itself when the oppression of Samoans began and the Tui Tongans started to strip away the culture. Now, of course, in resistance to this, the Samoans started a rebellion and despite small defeats and battles back and forth and many Samoans just being killed outright for being Samoan, they're able to rally up enough force to kick all the Tui Tongans off of the Samoan Isles and they push the war that this is the official Royal Army of Tonga. They push it all the way out of the country and they're unable to chase them because of how effective the navy of Tui Tonga was, but the Samoans now have full control of their island and they unite Samoa for this time and make it independent for the like for the first and last time because it was always in conglomeration with someone and then under Tui Tonga for 300 years so for the first time in a long time it was now independent and the new leader has got the name Maliatola which is the new name for 
great warrior because the way that they became back into power was through fighting and through blood. So this name, Maliatola, is very significant for fighting and warriors and represents the warrior culture it took to build this new Samoa. Now that's in 1250, in between the time of then and the later half of the millennia. This would when, be when Europeans start to trickle their way in. So in 1722, Jacob Roggenveen, who's a Dutchman, comes to the shores of Samoa. His crew would start to trade with Samoans, but they wouldn't actually set foot on Samoa because it was considered sacred ground. And there was something about the vibe that Roggenveen was getting that he knew they weren't that welcome there. They were okay to trade. So when the Samoans sailed up with their canoes and wanted to trade coconut meat and other things, the Dutchmen were very open to it. But they understood that, okay, maybe we shouldn't push our luck here. So they would just trade and they would sail away. Samoans would sail back to their island, which was right there. And they would call it a day. Over the next few years, a French explorer would start to ex sail through the islands and map them out. Both Samoa today and what is American Samoa, the smaller islands and the bigger ones, respectively. They were mapped out by a French explorer who called them the Navigator Islands. And then in, 19, in 1768, Jean-Francois de Gallo, this French explorer and his crewmates end up arriving on the island and were the first to attempt to set foot on Samoa. I covered just recently that this was very much not okay and it was very sacred ground. So once their unwelcome feet touched the sacred ground to Samoans, it was an act of disrespect. And Degala was forced to flee after attacks from the Samoans who killed many of his men and forced him to sail back away. Now, because of time going on and trade starting to look better and this idea of having stationed places within the Pacific started to become more and more enticing to America and to the European countries. So that's when Prussia at the time, the U.S. and Britain all begin to influence the island with traders and they start to bring, the British specifically start to bring missionaries in the land and Germany was, you know, I say Germany, Prussia, Germany was starting to kind of form at this point and become, you know, who they were. This was, you know, the beginning of their idea to eventually unify, which would happen in the 1800s. Now, looking for a foothold that would eventually last for them, that's why Germany had such interest here, and they hoped to colonize the island. Now, John Williams, who was a very famous London missionary from the London Missionary Society, arrived in 1830 and would spend much of the rest of his life on Samoa and other oceanic regions trying to convert the locals. And this would take pretty good effect. As more European influence came and newer generations were born, a lot of churches started to be built on Samoa and American Samoa. Of course, they haven't gotten these names yet. I'm just referring to it that way because I can't remember all the specific proper names and I don't want to butcher them. So we're doing that. Western and Eastern halves of Samoa are seeing a lot of churches and Christianity starts to spread, but there's still a lot of connection to old religion and old beliefs that is still in Samoa around then. But a lot of things change upon the crisis of 1889. Now, to understand this, we just have to go quickly into what the government of Samoan Islands kind of look like. And that's that there's four chiefly titles. Each one can ascend to power over all Samoa. And whichever title that is, is going to hold the most power at the time. So if whoever has the first name has whatever specific last name of power, like the one we said earlier, like Maliatola, they would ascend to power and Malayatola would hold the most weight. If it was another Samoan leader name, that would be the most powerful at the time. Things like that. The powers would unite under a single king when this happened. And things started to break down when within Samoa, 
there was different support because some people were European leaning, some people were American leaning, some people were Prussian leading. All these things are kind of going weird. And at this point, it's Germany. We skipped kind of like 100 years there pretty quickly. So 1889, it's pretty much Germany. Now would be the following year that they become Germany. So Germany has their hold here too. They have their supporters. They have their German settlers living there. And this is when support for the new leader would start to split between different Samoans, different Europeans, things like that. And this would start the first Samoan Civil War. Now, this would happen because different European powers started to back different leaders that were coming into power. And things got really heated because Germany had a lot, lot, lot of interest here. And they were willing to support, they were willing to support their side of the war with firing and starting fighting and shooting against the people. And they supported the next heir to the throne by blood. And that meant they supported the current monarchy. So they were starting to fire on the rebels. And this prompted the U.S. the U.S. and Britain to sail their ships into Samoa, which they hadn't done before, and station there and get ready for a fight. Now, this is as tense a stalemate as the ones that happened throughout the Cold War, Cold War when America is facing off against the USSR with tanks and things without actual firing, but they're just staring at each other very intently. And if anyone's to move a muscle, it could cause a war. That's what happens here. Is it's very tense on both these warships, and orders are being given back and forth. Some people want to shoot at the Germans. Germans want to shoot at the British and the Americans, and it's very tense. But the only thing that stops them is the fact that a cyclone hits. It ends up destroying every single European and American ship that's there, and it makes them realize that their interest in Samoa might not quite be worth it. So they all sail back. They kind of start to leave Samoa alone for a while. And by for a while, I mean 10 years, because there's a 1899 Samoan intervention as well. By this point, they all kind of had signed an agreement, which was called the Three-Nation Condominium, which saw Germany, the U.S., and Britain all split control of the islands of Samoa. But there were still issues over who was to rule next because the Malayatola... Lao Pepe, who was pretty much the king of Samoa, passes away. Half of Samoa, the western half, supports his cousin as the next year because in Samoan culture, I believe it was brother, I'm sorry. If there is a brother, they take precedent over the next son as the ruler, no matter what age the son is, even if they're of ruling age. And in the eastern islands, which become American Samoa, they all support the son, the direct son of the king. So it's a it's a battle of family, both seeking to take the throne from their either brother or father who was just on the throne and passed away. And this breaks out into another civil war, the second Samoan civil war in 10 years. And the British actually supported the son of the king who passed away. And because of that, the Americans sided with them as well. So both the Americans and British are backing the son to go and take this throne. And then... The Germans supported the brother of the king. So, loyalty was split between the two on the islands, and fighting would break out. Supporters of the sun had protests on Savai'i, which was, as I said, the big western island, and there was a lot of animosity between the two sides. And the thing with the brother was that he was much more aggressive and had already had a lot of time ruling different parts of Samoa and a lot of different time in government. So he crushed these supporters of the bro- of his technically his nephew, and this would see things break out. Apia ends up being taken by American forces who help back the son of the former king, and so Apia, which is the modern capital, is taken, and 
he's actually knighted there as the king and he ascends to the throne. But battles would still rage on for the rest of 1899. Fighting would get really serious and things would go back and forth. And the European powers in America realize, okay, listen, we just don't understand their system. We don't understand how the Samoans work and we don't know enough about their culture to make this a fair election and make sure like the right person's on the throne. Because we don't know. We don't know who the right person should be. Like We could pretend we know, but we don't. And of course... The conversation was probably much more aggressive and much more, oh, the natives don't know anything. We don't know their systems. Let's just leave. Whatever. Either way, negotiations start to happen between Germany, Britain, and the U.S., and they decide to draw a line of demarcation. This line would give the western parts of what is now modern independent Samoa to Germany and the eastern parts to America. Britain would concede would not gain anything in Samoa from this. Instead, in their negotiations with Germany, they would actually take some of the lands from the Samoa Solomon Islands, which were another Pacific Island nation, which had a lot of good positioning, resources, and things that Britain wanted, which Germany had control of prior to World War One, and they were able to give it up to the British in this, you know, agreement. And now all the powers are happy. America's happy, Britain's happy, Germany's happy, but the only people who aren't happy are the Samoans, because now when it comes to maps and how the international world sees them, there's a divide between their culture. There's an eastern half and a western half, one that's influenced by Germany and one that's influenced by America, and that doesn't feel right to them. So they were not consulted at all in this decision. They were just used as pawns for control, much like we see in Korea and Vietnam, and the way that NATO's backing Ukraine and not actually fighting Russia. Things like this happen. And the Samoans are used as pawn pieces and are very quickly disregarded as people with opinions and this happens to their islands now the official split is done by 1899 american the eastern islands and it starts eastern samoa and western samoa at this point it hasn't gotten its modern names and this really sprouts the early seeds of independence because the samoans begin to see okay this is what it means to deal with europeans this is what it looks like to deal with the outside world the western world is that they no matter what are gonna screw us and look at us as beneath them this is what it's like so they start early on to get this thing. Now, the chief at the time, Lauaki Namulaulu, actually starts a movement that was quickly ha handled by the Germans when warships were brought to the island because Luaku and his supporters actually started to protest and started to fight against some German forces there, and full warships are brought to crush them, and once they see the show of force, they go, okay, we're done, and they surrender, and they're actually exiled for treason off of their home island into the Mariana Islands. Now, this wouldn't last long because in World War I, New Zealand actually forcefully takes the island in 1914. Samoans and Germans on the land don't resist because there's no German soldiers there to defend. They had other problems in Europe to defend. So the German population just lets everything happen. Western Samoa is fully given to New Zealand by the end of the war. But New Zealand faces a lot, lot of criticism for the horrible way they handled Samoa, and I'm going to get into that right now. Firstly was with influenza, which spread to around 90% of the population because it spread so much on battleships, which were all that was visiting Samoa from 1914 to 1919. So about 90% of the population of Samoans actually get this, and it actually ends up killing one-fifth of the entire population just from influenza. And of course, this sparked a lot of instantaneous distrust between the Samoans and the New Zealanders because their people were being killed by a disease that they had never had on their island and it was brought to them and it was the mismanaging of the people who were now their leaders in government who now let them die from this. So there's already resentment and very quickly after this there is a movement started 
for Samoans. Now, this is the Mao movement in Western Samoa. It was a movement began by Samoans for Samoa. It was called Samoa for Samoans movement. They began to protest for their rights and sovereignty very peacefully. They had protests, marches in the streets. They would have sit-ins. They would start to hold up signs. All the things you see in the common protests. And that would spark one of the darker days in the recent history of Samoa is Black Saturday, when in 1929, as these protests went on, police shot Thomas C.C., who was the leader of the Mao movement and the protests. They shoot him dead, and this spurs the Samoans who supported him to kind of get more violent because their leader just got shot right in front of them. So there's fights between the police, and these peaceful protesters are shot and killed. Many, many, at least dozens of them, like, I believe it's four or five dozen Samoans are killed. And the police still shot many more that they didn't kill. And this is looked back with a lot of regret from New Zealand today and a lot of resentment as Samoa. There's different commemorations held every year in Samoa to talk about this day where a lot of the people were killed for simply trying to stand up for their country. And this leads to much more movement towards autonomy. One of the things that happened is the first labor government comes into power in 1935 and they re-recognize Mao because it was actually made illegal by New Zealanders. The the Mao movement was made illegal and dismantled, but under the first labor government, they actually recognized Mao as a legal political organization to stand up against this outlawing of it by the New Zealand government. World War II breaks out in 1939 and doesn't really affect the islands. There isn't any fighting on Samoa, but American troops are stationed both in their half of Samoa and in Western Samoa because, because of their positioning and the fact that New Zealand held them. New Zealand was on the same side of the war as Britain, which meant America as well, and they just have troops stationed there. They're seen as a refueling point, resupply point, but they don't see any actual fighting, which is great for Samoa, and the war ends, and it doesn't take long after that for autonomy to be gained under New Zealand as the world starts to negotiate more and more for ending empires, as if, as, as we know today, there's still a thing called American Samoa. We'll leave that alone, but they start to, you know, talk about decolonizing the world, and one of the first ones to do it in Oceania is Samoa. They gain their autonomy, and they start to move forward from there, and the growth towards independence is fully spurred. This comes in 1962. They're actually the first Polynesian country to get full independence, and in the year 1990, suffrage is actually added universally, and when it came to 1962, just to hop back and forth, New Zealand actually signs a treaty of friendship, and they also, as a government, apologize for the former regime that caused Black Saturday. And this starts to, you know, make relations a little better. And despite being independent, Samoa actually stays in the Commonwealth, so the Queen is still kind of their head of state. And they're still in this Commonwealth today, but a lot of changes have come to the system, and they are still fully independent despite the Queen still having that kind of level of, all right, well, I'm here. The very interesting thing that, you know, all these islands that are nothing like Britain and the UK still kind of have the old queen as their leader, or technically a leader on paper. It's weird, but some Samoans support it, some don't, but it's still what's going on today as they are in the Commonwealth. And the thing that would follow this would actually be the name change. So in 1997, Western Samoa, which is the one that got independence, American Samoa did not, they would change their name to just Samoa, which made a lot of American Samoans go, wait, what? Because it kind of makes them feel like there's a bigger, like, it's widening the gap between Samoa and American Samoa, despite the Samoans living on the American islands, like, are just as 
Samoan as any other Samoan there. It's it's Samoa. So they get upset about this, and this caused them to not recognize the name change. And since Samoa doesn't want to back down on this, West, Western Samoa that is, they don't want to back down from changing their name to Samoa. American Samoa actually refuses to recognize the name change and bans all Samoans, like Samoa Samoa, from owning land in American Samoa. Another thing they change is actually the time zone they're in. They were in a time zone which had them 21 hours behind New Zealand and Australia, who were their biggest trade partners. And this made no sense to them. So in 2011, they actually just skipped the day of December 30th and just got rid of that day entirely so that they could jump to that 21 hours ahead to be with New Zealand and Australia because it just made business easier because trade would try and happen on Friday and that means by the time it got to or like the when the conversation was happening over the phone or through text or emails whatever between Samoa and Australia and New Zealand it would already be Saturday and they go oh sorry like we're our things are closed on Saturday so it just didn't make any sense so they changed it and that makes business trade a lot easier a thing that happened in 2019 is that measles started to spread and it actually became a state of emergency and it got so bad that the government actually started to put out penalizations for any parent who refused to vaccinate their child within Samoa. And this works as, you know, vaccination rates went way up now that there was implications for not doing it. And in 2021, they actually got their first female prime minister. This was Fiyame Faumuina Mata'afa. And she becomes the first female prime minister in April of 2021 because she's elected clean, but there was a lot of controversy between the party that was in power, and they debated how legitimate she was. So when she tried to take her seat on the board, they actually blocked out like the courtroom, and they wouldn't let her in, and she ends up taking her oath outside. And this is in May, and it isn't until July of 2021, which is last year, that they everything is calmed down, all the negotiations are had, and they recognize her swearing her oath outside of the courtroom as legitimate, and she becomes a prime minister and still is today. And just like knock out, I'm not going to get too into Samoan culture because I won't be able to do it justice because I simply don't know as much as I should or want to, and that's why I'm going to learn more. But some things I do know is that the pea is a Samoan male tattoo that is placed on the hips, butt, the thighs, and above the knees, which is signifying belonging to chiefs and it can only really be done by Samoans. There's something that's very unique about Samoan tattoo art is that it doesn't have as much like line like curvy lines or circles or anything. It's very focused on very straight patterns that could go to straight line and wrap around your body, but there isn't like circles and stuff like that and so like very curvy. It's meant to be very like straight and strong kind of thing. And it represents mats that people prey on, it represents armor, things like that. It's very famous within famous wrestling families that are Samoan, the one The Rock came from, Roman Reigns, The Usos, Rikishi, Umaga, many names you may or may not recognize if you're in the wrestling space. And that's where there's also been a little bit of change where in the modern day, despite it built that tattoo being mainly for like the hips, thighs, butt area, it's kind of been shifted in the younger generations where they get a similar tattoo on their upper arm. You could see that with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, he has that kind of chest plate Samoan tattoo, so does Roman Reigns, so do the Usos, and so does their little brother who's also a wrestler right now, so that's kind of a new cultural thing they're having, it's like the new, every culture evolves and changes with the modern times, so they're still trying to honor their traditions, but also their modern flair on it where, you know, it makes them feel like that like is their working arm, it's the, it's the hand that provides food for their family, it's their arm of their culture, things like that. And that gets us to 
the present day where most native Polynesians in Samoa are there rather than anywhere else in the entire world. Like there's more native Polynesians in Samoa than there is in Hawaii, Tonga, any of those, because Samoa is the biggest one. And more Samoans live around the world than they do in Samoa today. Now, Fa'a Samoa is actually the system by which royal family becomes leaders and it's also the system that puts males and females of royal family into different positions based on when they were born, their height, size, age, all that. And then it also gives roles to the commoners and what they play in the government and within traditions, all that. That's a system that's a millennia old and it's still present today. So it's clearly very strong, very great within their culture. And that, and that is pretty much going to get us to the present day where we are able to wrap things up history-wise and with that, I'm going to do what I always like to do, which is leave us with a good mindset and good takeaway, which in this case is going to be to embrace your culture and hold on tight to who you believe you're meant to be. Now, of course, this is one of the stronger cultures in the world. Everyone has seen somewhere, either they've seen in a, in a Samoan rugby match, the chants, like the Hala chant, I believe it's called, Everyone, like, or you've watched pro wrestling and you've seen what the Usos used to do, or Roman, or The Rock, or you've seen football players that are O linemen that are higher, like, are very much drafted very commonly as O linemen for being these big Samoans because them Samoans know how to eat. Those are some big boys over there. And it's, it's actually been stated recently that being Samoan, like, from being in a draft class, like, that'll actually help your odds of getting drafted about seven times more than if you're not Samoan because of how common it is for them to be big and strong people. And the reason I bring up that culture thing is just the fact that these people are famous for their culture. They're famous for having a strong culture, very traditionalistic ways that have not been changed too much, that have been repeated throughout millennia. And I'm not saying if you like don't have a culture like that, you need to just like adopt it. Like for example, me, I have Italian in my blood, but I can no way claim like we're Italian in culture. We're not. We eat pasta. We make our own sauce. We ain't doing anything special though. We live in America. We're very Americanized Italians. Don't go and lie to yourself and say, you know, you're super Irish or you're like looking through your ancestry and say, oh, I'm part from Djibouti. I'm part Malawian. Don't do any of that. But I mean it as to kind of grab yourself and hold tightly your beliefs about yourself and who you are. And that can be your culture because there's a reason people that say at work and their job, they say, oh, this is our culture. Like, this is what we try and do. Like that, apply that to yourself. What's your culture? Are you Is the culture that you have in your, within yourself and want to teach your children hardworking or does it make excuses? Does it show up no matter what the situation is or does it find a reason not to come? Does it get lazy and not work hard or does it work hard? Does it have beliefs, does it not have beliefs, things like that. And not to make it sound like it's good, bad. It's just there's a lot of different ways you can go, and some of them will benefit you, some of them will not. And a lot of people have built a culture around themselves that it's okay for them to come up with reasons not to do things. It's okay for them to come up with reasons why something isn't right for them, why they shouldn't make a change. A lot of people will get, have the culture of saying they're going to do something and then not doing it, being dishonest and disrespectful to themselves more than anyone else. That's not a place you want to be. Absolutely not. So I'm not going to act like a saint and act like I don't miss my things and struggle. I've had a hell of a month. But, you know, every day I try to think about, you know, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And if you cut corners and wiggle your way 
you know, into an excuse in one part of your life, that means you're the person, the kind of person who's willing to make excuses and willing to wiggle their way into situations and slide past things. Hey, if you want to be like that, you'd be like that. I'm very much trying not to be. So I try and wake up every day, work hard, push through things the way I'm supposed to, get assignments done, get good grades, all that stuff. And I also try and give some history like this one. So take that as you will, guys. Whatever you feel, I just say, you know, find out who you're meant to be, stick with it, create a culture for yourself, and be proud of it. And make sure it's one that you're proud of because you will live to regret it one day or another. So that's pretty much going to be that. And I just got to say, this was a fun one. I'm a big wrestling nerd too. So getting to kind of see stuff about the Usos and the rock and all that and their tattoos definitely like give my like little kid nerdy vibe. Gave me a little like reason to be excited. So definitely a very fun one. Samoa's beautiful country with a beautiful culture and you know, they've got a lot of things going on. So thanks for being here. You learned about some of them. So Thank you so much, guys, for being here. And I'm just going to wrap it up one more time and say, my name is Alex Marks. This is Young History. And that was Samoa. Y'all have a good one.